you'll bow your heads. Let's start in prayer. Oh, God of grace and God of glory, how we praise you. You are the God who has richly blessed us. In your wisdom, you have chosen, predestined, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, and enlightened all who are in Christ. Oh, God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with praise for your glory as we look at all you have done for us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. To that end, God, I pray that you would empty me of me and fill me with all the fullness of you. Remove all distractions and help us to all focus fully on you. To the praise of your awesome glory, I pray. Amen. What causes your soul to erupt in praise? An act of kindness from a friend or spouse? An accomplishment of your child or grandchild? Or a great meal enjoyed at your favorite restaurant? The dictionary defines the verb praise as to express favorable judgment, warm approval, or admiration for someone or something. It's also defined as to glorify, especially by the attributes of perfection. The last part of that definition is for the one true God alone. When we praise God, we give him glory, especially for the perfection of his character or his attributes. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul uses the phrase, to the praise of his glory, three times in three slightly different forms. In verse 6, he says, the reason we have been blessed chosen, predestined for adoption by God according to the purpose of his will is to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, he says, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God's will so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Then in verse 14, Paul says, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit to guarantee our inheritance until we take possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, as I was studying, I came across a custom which may have begun in ancient Greece or Rome, and I think it might help us more fully understand this phrase. This legend says that when a slave owner died and gave his slaves their freedom in his will, it was the custom of the slaves to put on a cap of liberty, literally a little hat called a liberty hat, to show that they were now free. At the funeral and afterwards, they would parade down the streets proclaiming their master's greatness was so great that he had set them free. This custom describes these slaves as being to the praise of their master's glory. In other words, the freedom of the slave praised the greatness and the splendor of the master. In the first eight verses of Ephesians chapter 1, there are no less than ten things God has done to set us free from our bondage 
bondage to sin. He has done these things so that we can be or live to the praise of his glory. What he has done demands our unending praise. It demands that we put on our liberty caps and parade through life to the praise of God's glory. Now this means that we do not just praise him with our lips, we praise him with our lives. Paul aims to show us that God's extravagant spiritual blessings demand our unending praise. That is the truth that we're going to examine in a passage that is packed with doctrines that reveal the wondrous work of God done on our behalf. In two divisions, praise the Father and praise the Son, we will see how God's extravagant spiritual blessings demand our unending praise. So our first division is praise the Father, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now you should have that one memorized now. We studied this last week, but it's included here because it begins Paul's 202-word unpunctuated list of the superabundance of God's blessings that outline God's master plan for the salvation of sinners. Of these verses, Commentator William MacDonald says the apostle lifts his voice in a magnificent hymn of praise, soaring into some of the sublimest heights of New Testament worship. Paul begins his praise by addressing God the Father as the one who blessed us and is blessing us in Christ. The way that Paul phrases this means that God blesses us continually. His blessings are ongoing. These blessings are spiritual, meaning they are from the Holy Spirit. Immediately we see in this one verse, it reveals the Godhead, or what is known as the Trinity. In fact, verses 3 through 14 are Paul's masterpiece on the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is an extremely important doctrine in the Christian faith. As Christians, we believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Bible, but the concept is found in the very first verses of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates by the power of his word, simply speaking creation into existence as the spirit hovers over it. The full significance of the word and the spirit is found in the New Testament when the word became flesh and dwelt among us as a man named Jesus. The spirit was poured out in his fullness upon believers beginning at Pentecost. Theologian Scott Swain says that Genesis chapter 1 introduces us to the one God who rules all things by his word and spirit and sets the stage on which the scriptural drama unfolds, the world produced, formed, and filled by the triune God. Now, it's important to understand what the Trinity does not mean 
It does not mean tritheism, as if there are three beings who together are God. The word Trinity instead is used to define the fullness of the Godhead, both in terms of his unity and his diversity. R.C. Sproul says that doctrine of the Trinity does not fully explain the mysterious character of God. Rather, it sets the boundaries outside which we must not step. It defines the limits of our finite reflection. It demands that we be faithful to the biblical revelation that in one sense, God is one, and in a different sense, he is three. Paul highlights the Trinity by detailing all that God the Father has done for us in Christ. He set his love on us by choosing us, predestining us for adoption, redeeming us, forgiving us of our sins. He has poured out his grace on us and he continues to lavishly pour out his grace on us. And he makes known to us with all wisdom and insight how he is working out his eternal plan. How extravagant are God's spiritual blessings. They demand our unending praise. Paul's entire glorious sentence is full of what the Father has done. Paul also shows us that God the Son is the sphere in which these spiritual blessings are given and received. In Christ or in the Beloved. Once sinners were in Adam, lost, helpless, hopeless, godless. But God sent his son to pay the price that we are unable to pay for our sins. He has redeemed us. In him, our sins are forgiven. And we are overwhelmed with the mind-boggling fullness of God's spiritual blessings. The words in Christ or some form of them is repeated throughout this passage Indeed, throughout Paul's entire epistle to the Ephesians, those who know the riches of God's extravagant spiritual blessings because they are in Christ, praise him with unending praise. And although God the Holy Spirit is only specifically named in verses 13 through 14, note again that the blessings named are spiritual. The Holy Spirit is the one actively at work creating and applying these spiritual blessings to our lives. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit is given by God the Father to those who are in Christ the Son. Verses 4 through 6 show that God the Father is primarily active in choosing us, predestining us for adoption, and blessing us in the Beloved. Verse 4 tells us that these spiritual blessings are related to the past. This is why Paul writes that even before he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, how's that for past? That's really past. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, when I was trained to teach preschoolers, 
I was taught to minimize the use of pronouns like he and she and they and them because it confuses their young minds. They can't keep up with who he, she, and they and them are. So it's helpful, I think, to do that here and read this verse as even as God the Father chose us in God the Son before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before God the Father. So God the Father did the choosing of those who are his before he even created the world, and he did so through the future work of his Son, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of election that we looked at last week in Malachi chapter 1. It is a doctrine that is emphasized throughout Scripture and it negates any action or works on our part to be saved. Salvation is all of God. Even the faith to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is a gift of God's grace. Like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of election is mysterious. You and I cannot fully understand it. It calls us to confess that God is God and we are not. This in and of itself is cause for our endless praise. Verse 4 ends with the two words, in love. This means that either he chose us in love or that in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now I think while both are true, most scholars agree that these two words most appropriately belong attached to verses 5 and 6. So we would read, in love, he, meaning God the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. These verses are loaded with heavy duty Doctrine. In addition to the doctrine of election, we see the doctrines of predestination, adoption, God's will, and grace. All of these are praised by Paul as spiritual blessings from God. Time and my brain capacity does not permit me to delve into all these doctrines. Instead, let the truth of all God the Father has done in Christ fill your soul with unending praise. We have to understand why Paul lists all of these amazing spiritual blessings. He does it to assure and strengthen a church that was struggling with discouragement, hopelessness, and the forces of evil. His words still assure and strengthen you and me today. By speaking of predestination... Paul underscores how God's love precedes any human accomplishment and trumps all human failure to give believers a profound sense of confidence and security in God's love. Praise God that our salvation comes through his divine love alone. God chose us, predestined us, for adoption into his family solely because it is his loving and sovereign choice. 
Theologian Brian Chapel says that the message of God's eternal and unwavering love for his church is as powerful an encouragement for struggling churches today as it was for the baby church of Paul's day. That God the Father chose us predestined us for adoption, and graced us with his grace, was all according to his good and perfect will so that we might glorify him for his grace. This is what Paul means when he says to the praise of his glorious grace. It brings God glory to adopt those he has chosen as sons through Jesus Christ and to bless them in the beloved who is Jesus Christ. John Piper writes that the goal of your adoption is that the glory of God's grace would be praised. God adopted us in our unworthiness to make his grace look great. You were adopted for the praise of the glory of his grace. God's action in adopting us is radically God-centered and God-exalting. The glory of God is what we were made to see and enjoy for all eternity. Nothing else will satisfy our souls. But because... God's spiritual blessings do satisfy our souls. We must praise him. God's extravagant spiritual blessings demand our unending praise. In this division, that praise centers on God the Father and his electing love. So our first truth is that God the Father's electing love demands our unending praise. How might the doctrines of election and predestination bless your soul when you feel you have failed God? How does the fact that God chose you according to the purpose of his will comfort you when you feel hopeless? And how might these truths fill your heart with unending praise for God? There are times in our lives when the fires of praise are snuffed out. Times when there appears to be no reason for praise. Times when we feel profoundly alone, confused, or unloved. And times when we feel hurt, grieved, or betrayed. In those times, we can rest assured of God's great unchanging love for us, a love so great that he chose and predestined to adopt condemned sinners like you and me as his sons and daughters. This truth reminds us that we he created us to praise. We exist to praise. Our Father God. Indeed, God the Father's electing love demands our unending praise. And because his saving work is accomplished through his Son, Jesus, we must also praise God the Son. So our second division is praise the Son, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. 
Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul continues to pile on the doctrines with the doctrines of redemption, atonement, forgiveness, sin. But what we call biblical teachings or doctrines, Paul calls spiritual blessings. In verses 3 through 6, we looked at the blessings accomplished in the past before the foundation of the world. Verses 7 and 8 reveal the blessings which are ours right now in Christ. Then in verses 9 and 10 and next week in verses 11 through 14, they reveal the spiritual blessings held for us in the future. When Paul says, in him, he means in Christ. He says that we have redemption through Christ's blood. We also have forgiveness of our trespasses. Do you see how he emphasizes that we have them now? A believer's present position is in Christ. And in Christ, we are presently in possession of these spiritual blessings. Tracing God's eternal plan for his people from his choosing to his predestining to his adopting, we now arrive at his redeeming work. Redemption is the work of Christ by which we are freed from the bondage and the guilt of sin. We're given a cap of liberty. In Christ, we have redemption. Presently, we are the redeemed of Christ, bought out of slavery by a price or a ransom paid in full. Astoundingly, the price for our sin was the precious blood of Christ. Scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. Someone or something must die to pay for our sin. So I must stop and ask, who will pay the price for your sin? There are only two choices. Will it be you or Jesus Christ? Jesus, our sinless substitute, died in the place of all who place their trust in him. Because he did, all our sins are forgiven. Now, forgiveness of sin is not the same as redemption. It is the result of Christ's redemption. He had to fully pay for our sins before they could be forgiven. And he did this by laying down his life for sinners like you and me on the cross. This demands our unending praise Our hearts cannot help but sing love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But wait, there's more. Our redemption and the forgiveness of all our sins are all according to the riches of his grace. Paul hits yet another mind-blowing doctrine Verse 8, Paul says that God's grace, his unmerited favor, is lavished on us. 
That means his grace is heaped on us. We are smothered with his grace, showered with his grace, dripping in his grace. Literally, we have been graced by him from head to toe. We do not have the words to sufficiently praise God for his amazing grace. But we should praise him the best we can with our lips and our lives until we draw our last breath. God's extravagant spiritual blessings demand our unending praise. Verse 8 continues the thread of how God lavishes his grace upon us. It says he does so in all wisdom and insight. In your lesson this week, you learned that God is infinitely wise, that he has unfettered and precisely sorry, flawlessly precise skill to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. Because God is wise, you and I can trust him to skillfully execute his sovereign plan on a high, pure, and loving level for our good and his glory. God is wise, and he is the source of all wisdom. And it is important to point out that some of God's attributes are incommunicable, meaning that he cannot and does not share them with us. For example, God is self-existent, sovereign, all-knowing, omnipresent. We are not. However, some of God's attributes are communicable, meaning that he willingly shares them with us, although only to a finite extent. God's wisdom is one of his communicable attributes. He chooses to impart his wisdom to us. He even extends an open invitation for us to receive his wisdom. James 1.5 instructs us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. This is another awe-inspiring, praise-provoking truth. It is an extravagant spiritual blessing that demands our unending praise. Biblical wisdom is wisdom that comes from the awesome, infinite, omniscient mind of God. His wisdom is infinitely greater than that of any man. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, he declares, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Yet in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, Paul says, In Christ, we have the mind of Christ. While we will never be as wise as God, he gives us his wisdom and his insight in how to live to the praise of his glory. Having chosen us, predestined us for adoption, graced us, redeemed us, and forgiven us in Christ, he lavishes more grace on us in all wisdom and insight. He does so to make known to us, his beloved children, the mystery of of his will. This is in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. God the Father reveals his eternal plan to his children 
And that plan centers on God the Son, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It is according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And he continues in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This plan includes a believer's spiritual blessings that are still in the future. It is God's plan that one day he will unite all things under Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, this plan pumps my entire being just full of praise. Can you imagine this? All division, all the hate, all the war, all the discrimination, all the persecution, all the fallenness, and all the brokenness, gone. Gone. Because all things will be united under Christ. And then we will join with the entire family of God in unending praise to the God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. John Stott summarizes saying, in the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe and his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ who is the supreme head of both. All of this are present and future spiritual blessings. They are ours in Christ. They flow from God the Son's redeeming love, a love that demands our unending praise. Our second truth is that God the Son's redeeming love demands our unending praise. How does the way that you live your life praise Jesus for purchasing you out of your bondage to sin? What specific truth about the doctrine of redemption stirs your heart to love and praise? Christian, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. He laid down his life to purchase you for himself. You belong to him, not to yourself, not to the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Paul writes, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. Therefore, honor and glorify God with your body. In other words, your sinful self has been freed by Jesus Christ. Put on your liberty cap and parade through life, praising his glory. God the Son's redeeming love demands our unending praise. So what is it that causes your soul to erupt in praise. In Aramaic, the literal translation of Ephesians 1.6 is that the glory of God's grace might be glorified. That is to say that the magnitude of God's grace may be magnified or that the greatness of his grace might be aggrandized. That grace which he has poured forth upon us by the hand of his beloved one. We glorify God's grace in our next lesson, two times, Paul instructs us to be or live to the praise of God's glory. 
What God has done demands that we glorify God's glory. The Aramaic word used for glory is a simple word, doxa, which is the root of our English word, doxology. In verse 6, Paul says, God's grace is what we glorify because he has lavishly poured and is lavishly pouring it out on us by way of one spiritual blessing after another in Christ. This begs the question, are you, my friend, in Christ Do you have an unwavering assurance that you are in Christ? If not, please come and talk to me or talk to your small group leader. We would love to answer any questions that you have about God's saving work and spiritual blessings. We want you, like Paul, to be overcome by the magnitude of our spiritual blessings in Christ. Paul. Paul is so overcome, it is like he spontaneously combusts, bursting out in praise to the triune God who blesses his children in ways so grand and so glorious that Paul could never completely grasp them. He lived to the praise of God's glory until the day he died, and he is right now praising the God from whom all blessings flow with unending praise. What has happened to your mind, your heart, and your soul as we have examined these blessings? Have you been overcome by the magnitude and the greatness of God's spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ? If so, straighten that liberty cap that God has so lovingly placed on your head. Then, join in the parade of unending praise for his glory. Please pray with me. O gracious God, you are the immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Because you lavish your grace, kindness, and wisdom on us, we can live like your chosen and beloved adopted children. We have the power to live to the praise of your glory. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us a burning desire to do so. Fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of who you are. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Oh God, remind us that in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. Amen.